You're now listening to the Live Different Podcast with Matt Wilson. What's up, everybody? It's Matt Wilson, host of the Live Different Podcast. And today we are here with Brandon Voss. He is a corporate consultant and trainer for the Black Swan Group, a company that solves business communication problems with hostage negotiation strategies. His father, Chris Voss, has uh, published the book, Never Split the Difference, a book that made a big impact on how I look at business problems, uh, negotiation, and uh, it, it's just full of real-world examples on how to solve problems. Uh, and, and from, but from the from the FBI, from real hardcore negotiation stuff. So it's it's really cool. I'm excited to talk to Brandon today. And uh, yeah, Brandon, welcome. Thank you, Matt. Yeah, I appreciate it, man. Thank you uh, for having me on. And and yeah, it's it's. I got to admit, I'm in a, I'm in a lucky position to be affiliated with a with a book like this, and it's gained some good traction. And you know, people like yourself, man, that have picked it up, and it's it's changed the way they're looking at communication with others, and really helping people out. So it's a very cool thing. No, of course, and I, and I like how it's not just about negotiation, right? Uh, getting to yes. It's not just about, okay, how do I win this? It's really, you know, there, there are sections or are a lot on uh, empathy and how you can put yourself in the other person's position and uh, all sorts of then from there, right? Uh, understanding people and, and, and listening and then all sorts of ways that you can play with how you present what you want so that it works uh, for both parties. And yeah, it's, it, it's really cool. So I'm excited to dive into that. But um, uh, I'm curious, we were just chatting before uh, about Bryant University, a place where you played football, and uh, that's my alma mater. So I, when I saw that on your LinkedIn profile, it was I was like, whoa, wait a second, Bryant, that's a real small school. And uh, we were chatting before. So and uh, there's a, a football player in the book. And that's you, it sounds like. Yeah, 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 exactly. The um the incident we were talking about in Arizona, I was playing linebacker, which is a you know, a year before Brian, but uh yeah, Brian was cool, man. I think it's I think it's awesome that you and I both had spent time there. I was just there my freshman year and played a little ball, you know, didn't get on the field much, right? I was you know, I was a freshman earning earning my bones at that point, but you know, met a lot of great people, you know, it was uh it was interesting to be part of that team and part of that school and you know, got a lot of memories just from that year. So it, it sticks with me. Did, I, I got to ask you a football question before we dive into the negotiation stuff. Lorenzo yeah. Perry, was he on, on the squad at that he time? He was. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. So you, got, Lorenzo, to, you yeah. got to tackle or try to tackle him, huh? Yeah, well, I was blocking for him. <laughs> I was I was offensive lineman at that point. So oh, okay. I got a chance to block for him. And yeah, he's a he's that guy. He's, he's, a, he's a good athlete. Still is, too. He's got a great business going now, works with kids and just like, uh, yeah, he's a good guy. That's cool. Yeah. I haven't followed him, of course, since since school. Actually, he was trying out for some pro teams. I don't know if it was NFL, but uh, there was another league going that he was going to try to get into. I can't remember what it was, but he was unbelievable to watch. Yeah, he had a great skill set. He had a great skill set at the running back position. No, that's uh, that's really cool. Lorenzo Perry popped up into my mind, and I I had to ask you. But uh, yeah, could you could you share a little bit more of of your story? How you got to where uh, you are today? Sure, sure. Yeah, it's um, it's been it's been it's been a fun journey. So, 
uh, officially been working full time uh, for Black Swan and with my father since 2010. So a good stint now. Um, prior to that, I was in I was in sales, I did retail sales for Macy's and uh, business to business sales with Verizon. And uh, I think, let me see, what was the official year? We put the business on paper in 2008 officially. And at that time, you know, I was working my job and Chris was uh, Chris was actually teaching at Harvard at that time. So we both had other things going, but the business was still in the works. And then 2010, you know, our first client really kind of for all intents and purposes falls out of the sky, you know, through a connection of of uh, through the Rolodex, as it were, right, through word of mouth. And it's a, it's a year long commitment. And uh, Chris and I or my father and I talked about it and decided to join forces and, uh, you know, we've been going at it ever since. And it's been a good mix because, you know, having being part of the sales world and I always enjoyed sales, you know, just interactions with people and and, um, you know, building rapport more than making deals, but being able to build rapport and get into places of trust. But I, I got a chance to see a lot of the the bad sales training, you know, the, the stuff that gets drilled in every salesperson's head and. You know, at the end of the day, you wonder why it's not working as well as they told you it was going to, you know, and being able to meld that with what he brought from the government, from the hostage negotiation world and how the two intertwine. And, and even from the side of, you know, even as a hostage negotiator, you're always a buyer. And so, you know, how does that factor in and how do you how does how do you weave that into the best ways to communicate when you're not on the buyer side, right? When you're on the other side, but things are still intense. So it's been fun, man. I'm 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 lucky. I got to learn from him starting at a young age, and so you know I'm 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 in a privileged place, man. That that's really interesting. I'd I'd love to hear uh, what growing up in that environment was like. But first, could you just touch a little more on on uh, your dad's background because I, I know that he was a. Uh, professor there at Harvard, but I mean, he was a FBI negotiator. I mean, hostage stuff, really intense situations. Is he an intense guy in person? You know, he's not as, as he's getting older now, right? I could make old, old guy cracks about my old <laughs> man. Right. But, uh, he's, he used to be very intense, uh, you know, being in the government, being a special agent, you know, he took himself very seriously working at it, you know, in New York for a long time and then down in the DC area. So, but he's loosened up, you know, he's living, he's living out in LA now, right? He's, uh, you know, he wears sneakers with suits, you know, which is something he would, he would, he might beat somebody up on the street over if you saw him doing it, you know, 20 years ago, <laughs> but now he's, you know, he's got sneakers with suits, but now he's, uh, he, he, he was very intense. He's loosened up a lot. It's funny. It's really funny to hear from my friends on that. Cause my friends got stories about like when we were younger and he was intense, like, man, your father's really loosened up over the years, man. I remember them days. So, but yeah, it's fun, man. It's, it's, it's cool to work together. And, and, you know, we're, we're a small family business even now. I think people think we're a big corporation, but, you know, we're still, we're still small time. And you know, he and I handle a lot of day to day, uh, even today. So it's, it's cool. It's a cool thing. No, that that's really great. Um, and, and I like the model, of course, that, uh, I mean, you guys have a ton of real world experience. And I like what you said, even by uh, coming out of school and, and trying to go like the corporate sales route. And then you, you get this training and you see what often the person on the other side of the table is armed with. And uh, actually I'll, I'll tell you a quick little story. So, um, and I want to make sure that 
when we talk, uh, people can get real actionable tips for, yeah. for anything for, for when you're just haggling on the street, uh, to, okay, I'm, I'm trying to, uh, renegotiate my mortgage or, or this is a big, uh, this is a big business deal. So, but I'll, I'll give you an example of where I was just getting bullied one time. Uh, and it, of course it was at the gym, uh, g- get, uh, negotiating my gym membership. And I walked into a New York sports club <laughs> and you know how these guys are trained. I'm yeah. sure. And I didn't know what was going on. And I don't know. I was it was it was years ago now uh, i had just graduated school i had no money and so i wanted to make sure i got a good deal on my gym membership but this guy would just not budge and uh i i was it was to the point where i was upset with this guy because he was just trying to make his commission and i knew that but there was just no communication between the two of us and uh, we were just like locked in one of those little offices for like 15, 20 minutes and we're going back and forth and neither party could could understand the other party. And my buddy walks in, my training partner and uh, my buddy named Tyler. And he walks yeah. in like after I've been beaten on this guy getting nowhere. And he's like, what's the problem? And he sits down and he talks, he talks to the guy for me, like right next to me on my side of the table, talks to the guy and gets me exactly what I want, speaks with him in a, in a calm manner. And I walk out and I was like, what was that? How did you do that? And he's, he's just one of, one of my buddies from New York will just tell it to me straight. He's like, you weren't fucking listening to him. He's like, you just were not listening. So can we start that? Can we start there on, on how you really have to try to understand the other side of the party when you go into a, a negotiation? Yeah, yeah, no, it's, I think that's a great place to start. And, and just as another minor tidbit, the part that you said about how he stayed calm, and that gives you a lot of power just in a general sense. But yeah, especially starting with, with empathy, right? This, um, you know, using what we like to call tactical empathy or what Daniel Goldman might refer to as cognitive empathy. And it definitely starts with being able to listen. And even when we, we take it a, another step and it's, you know, how do you get them to say the things that you need to hear? But really what it is, is, you know, got to keep yourself short and concise. You know, be be ready to really um, be able to articulate what it is that they see. I think I think that's what what makes it hard for people just in a general sense, because we look at empathy and we think, all right, well, you know, I want to put myself in their shoes and, you know, I want to I want to understand their point of view. But really what it is, is being able to articulate what they see. You know, that's that's really the next step when you can when you can say the words that maybe they couldn't even put together themselves. And uh, that that's when you really start to make strides in negotiation. And when you're able to do that, it builds immediate trust because the other side looks at you and, and their first thought is, wow, you know, they really get it. I didn't even have to bend over backwards to try to explain myself till I was blue in the face. They were able to articulate it for me. They probably, they might even said it better than I would have. You know, I, I think this is somebody that I could do business with. You know, it's, it's amazing what it does to the mindset when you can express empathy. And, and it's not an easy thing. I think that's what it is, is with, you know, part of it is we assume like, ah, oh, it's not that hard, but it, it actually is. It's, it's difficult to find the words and see things the way the other person sees it while you're emotional at the same time. Cause right. You, you gave a gym membership, right? Like 
you're you're thinking like this. Why do you keep pushing me? You know, what's your problem? Right. I told you what I'm looking for and and you won't shut your mouth. And I, I'm the customer here. Right. You're here to serve me. And all of those thoughts are getting in the way. And it's hard to articulate. Like, what is he seeing? Why? Why is he acting like this? And as and, and again, going back to like emotional intelligence, and the application of that to communication. First step is controlling your own emotions. And no matter how old you are or how much you've negotiated, that's something that's always difficult day in and day out. It's not something you overcome even in a lifetime, I don't think. Sure. That, that's really interesting. And um, it's, it's, as you alluded to, it's about making the other person understand that you know how they feel. And in the book, right, you give some, you give some tactics on how you can rephrase the things. Is mm-hmm. that, is that right? It looks like you were about to, uh, to, to come back at me. So I'll, I'll stop talking there. No, I was just, I, I thought that was a great point. I mean, yeah, you know, the other person, they understand it, they feel it. You know, it's interesting. Uh, uh, you know, my dad and I get up to New York every so once in a while and, and Tall Roz, the, the, uh, the co-author, uh, you know, we get to see him sometimes, lives up in that area. And we actually had breakfast with him at the Soho house a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, we were talking about this topic, right? It always comes up. It's hard to avoid, especially when you're around my father or me for that example, for that, for that, uh, for that matter. But this, we talked about this idea of, you know, creating these emotional moments, And when you're working your way towards agreement, there's a series of emotional moments that need to take place when you go from A to B. And one of those spots, or or might even account for many, depending on the circumstance and, and how you got to the table. But one of the big ones is, just like you said, when they understand, when they feel it. When they can admit to themselves, and, and we've, you know, an example we use a lot when we're training is, um, you know, it's easy to pick on politics these days, right? And I'm not going to get too political on you on this, but but it's a great example of like when you when you're watching TV and you see your politician on TV, and they say something that resonates with you internally as a person, and you point at the TV and you go, "That's right," you know, "That's it." Right. That that moment of like I'm we're in the same boat, you know, they get what I'm looking for. Right. You could that you create those same emotional moments in negotiation and how you do it is, is empathy, which, again, is difficult. But when you can articulate it and they look at you and they're like that, you know what? They get it. You you you've you've crossed a, a big bridge at that point. You you've built a tremendous amount of trust and you you've, you've opened doors to the conversation that you might not have had previously. No, that's that's really interesting. And in the book, uh, I'm looking at my notes from the book, and uh, there's the concept of calibrated questions, right? Yes. And so, yep. I I actually have a list here. I'll read a, read a few so people can can know uh, what's inside the book. But what are their motivations? Uh, I wrote down what uh, what and how are we trying to accomplish. What's the core issue here? How does this affect things? What's the biggest challenge? What are the deal killers? What are we up against? Uh, what's your biggest challenge? Challenge, And they seem like things that you can be asking so that the person understands that, no, you're really trying to dig into their psyche to see what's at stake for them and that you you care about them. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. That's that's a big part of it. And so um 
you know, from a definition standpoint, we limit our calibrated questions to what and how. You know, we talk a little bit about why when we do training, but, you know, that's something you got to be careful with. So okay. if, you, if you can eliminate why, at least until you come see us in, in one of our training, get to go to one of our sessions. But I know it's a tough thing to do because it's, it's an urge to sometimes ask why questions. Sure. But even, you know, why did you say that could easily be flipped into what made you say that? Okay. And using what and how questions, which is really what we limited to, there's two things. Number one, for whatever reason, and we, we don't have the brain science behind it just yet, but what and how questions always incite a much more elaborate response. There's just something about the way they roll off the tongue, the way that the questions are structured with what and how. And we try to eliminate, you know, when's, where's and who's, right? Because you can say, you know, who's in charge of that? Now, well, Frank is. All right. Well, how much further have you actually gotten in the conversation by just getting that name? Right. As opposed to how do we rope everybody that's involved in this decision to be rope everybody in to be on the same page? How do we do that? How do we rope everybody in to be on the same page? And then the answer is like, well, you know, I got to get together with Frank and Ben and Julie and we'll sit down with the team. And, um, you know, we discussed X, Y and Z today. So I need to make sure I talk about that with them. Now you're having a whole different conversation. Right. So it's something about what and how that really just expands answers. And so they're, they're always a great place to start. Um, you know, another way to use calibrated questions. And we, we talk about this when we're doing training as well is to stop a charging bull in its tracks. And if you've read the book, you've probably seen, you know, how am I supposed to do that uh, at some point in the book? And, you know, there's different versions of that same approach to negotiation. That's a great way to just stop a bull in its tracks. And, and the hard part about it is in those moments, you want to resist the urge to justify yourself. Right. Why are you doing this to me? You know, these are all the reasons that you should agree. These are the reasons that this shouldn't be a problem. Right. Being able to take that that same energy and phrase a what or how question in the moment. That's a difficult thing to do. But it comes if you if you practice and you, and you start uh, you start making it a point to to use that in those tough moments. Then eventually, just just like anything else. Right. Uh, repetition is the mother of skill. That makes a lot of sense. And you're you're trying to get somewhere with those questions and you're trying to make them get somewhere and open up and speak more, which is a, a big thing that I've learned about negotiation uh, is that you need to let the other person, the more the other person speaks, it seems the more you get to learn and you get to analyze and you get to step back. It, it, is that right? Was, was that from never split the difference? I'm, I'm pretty sure there was a, a section on that. We did. We do talk about that. And that's not necessarily something, a new concept. You know, it's not something we necessarily want to claim, uh, claim that we invented. But that is that is true. I mean, and we've we've uh, been able to talk about it and kind of shed some light on that in the book. But that's we, we refer to it as verbal vomit. You know, we, that's, okay. that's what we call it in the book, verbal vomit. And, and yeah, it goes back again to listening. If you're focused on using silence effectively, I think it's an, another thing about negotiation that makes it tough. But you can't listen well unless you're silent. But there's also ways you can use silence to cause emotional moments. So how, how you use silence in an effort to put yourself in a place where you can listen to, all right, what, what do they really see? Or are they going to tell me things that I need to know that, that really benefit me, 
right? Are, are there things that, that are going to roll off their tongue as, as you have them thinking out loud that is really going to change the position that you're in? And, and so a lot of that comes from effective use of silence. We, we talk about when we're training, sometimes we'll just, when you're dealing with someone who likes to talk a lot, right? We've all seen that negotiator, someone who's always running their mouth and, you know, they'll pause as if they're waiting for you to respond. And in those moments, just have a little fun with silence and don't respond at all. Just, just, just let the silence sink in and see what happens. You know, it's, it's interesting to experiment with silence during conversations. And that's one of the fun spots to do it. That's great. And the more you pause, the more opportunity it gives them to keep talking. And especially in those FBI negotiations where you don't know what's happening on the other end. You have no idea it's life or death. Uh, There's hostages at stake. You want to know everything that you possibly can about the situation before you make any moves. Yeah, that's 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 it. I mean, a great example from the book is, um, you know, the Jeff Schilling case. And, you know, we talk about when we're training, we talk about, you know, the birthplace of the that's right moment. But, uh, you know, the information that they were able to gather from the guy holding Jeff, you know, he's 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 in the Philippines, but he doesn't even identify as a Filipino. He identifies as a moral. And one of the things about, you know, being where he lives is he feels like, you know, these large countries have been coming in for years and years and just stealing their resources and, you know, mating with their women. And, you know, he just, he had this American and he was going to take it all out on this American guy, this poor, this poor schmo, Jeff Schilling, who really had nothing to do with nothing, but, you know, he was going to be the scapegoat, but they were able to get this guy talking about what really bothered him. You know, why, why take a hostage? Why want, why, why demand, you know, uh, $10 million in war damages? What are the reasons? And when they got that out of them and were able to articulate back to them, like, these are the reasons why you're pissed off. And you got right to be because you've had the Spanish and the Japanese and the Americans coming into your country and killing your people for years. And you got a corrupt government that, you know, supports evil things in the world. And it was just all all of this. They were able to articulate all of that. And they got a that's right out of the terrorists. And eventually Jeff Schilling ends up walking away. And so. um yeah, just what 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 you can do when you have the patience. You know, that's another part of it, the patience. And and you know, to quote a, a judge that my father worked with when he was in New York, you know, delaying to save time. And I'm sure you probably remember that that uh, that phrase from the book. But this delaying to save time, delaying in the moment to gather those crucial pieces and and take time to listen, so that on the back end you've shifted those emotional moments so far so fast that you actually get your end result faster. It's just in the moment, it feels cumbersome to like, why do I want to listen to this person? You know, why should I make them feel like I'm being nice to them? You know, things like that. And it's, well, because eventually they're going to give you what you want, you know, and and you're going to get there faster in the long run. Absolutely. Especially when, God, it's uh, it's, uh, literally an enemy. Uh, That's... yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's pretty that's pretty scary. You mentioned those magic words that they speak about in the book. That's right. Mm -hmm. And can you help the listener understand how they can get a that's right and feel like they're making progress in their negotiations? Sure thing. Sure, sure. So, 
that's right comes in a, in a few different um, forms, especially based on who who the type of negotiator is that you're dealing with. But you know, that's it exactly, or um, you know, it's just that's exactly it. Or I'm trying to think. There was a there was a gentleman I was on the phone with a, um, not that long ago. And he said, he said to me, and I'll, you know, please forgive the profanity, but you opened the door a little bit earlier. And he, and he says to me, shit, that's it. (laughs) That's what, it's literally what he said. Like, and, and, um, you know, I just, you know, that that's, that's a, this is another form of that's right. That's like, that resonates. That's, that's what I'm looking for, you know? And, and so, um, that's really what that's right represents. You know, I mentioned the politician example earlier, but how do you get there? And so I'll give an example uh, coming from when I when I was flying. I mean, I'm in the airport. And so and by the way, for those of you out there that are looking for, you know, what what are the what's the low stakes practice? What are the interactions that I'm having where I don't have skin in the game, but I could practice a good calibrated question? I could I could practice some tactical empathy. I could practice, you know, a no oriented question. Another, another thing from the book, those low stakes interactions when you're in the airport. That's a great example of it. You know, one of the things we talk about with our clients as well is call your utility companies every quarter and renegotiate your bill. That's another low, great low stakes interaction. So, so I'm in the airport and um, we're getting ready to board. I'm flying business and, you know, I'm lucky enough, our, our clients, they fly as business class. And so we're getting ready to get on and myself and another lady get pulled off to the side at the front of the gate and, and they inform us that our TVs aren't working on our seats. Like just to let you know, you know, where you guys are seated, those TVs are broken right now. And, um, you know, just want FYI, right. For your information. And the young lady, she's like, oh, okay, thank you very much. And she goes and, and she gets on the plane and I look at them and I go, you know, I'm thinking to myself like, right, I'm in business class. Cause you guys have TVs in it, right? I want to watch TV on my flight. It's a two hour flight. I want my television working. and I don't have that. So, you know, the first thing I say is, you know, what are we going to do, right? What's going to happen? How's this going to work? <laughs> you smelled blood in the water there for right, a minute. I'm smelling blood in the water. Yeah, that's it, right? <laughs> so I, I throw a series of calibrated questions at them, right? The what and a how and a what. And so, um, and just pause, right? Then just go silent. Don't explain, well, because I should have my TV working, right? Don't get into all of that. Go silent. And the lady looks at me and she goes, well, um, let me make a phone call. And she picks up the phone next to her. And, and also just you know, kind of paint the picture behind the desk. There's actually three um, airline employees, which is rare because usually it's just one person there. But there's three because they've had proms in the airport that day. And, you know, people run around like chickens with their head cut off. Right. Which is half the time in the airport. And as we're standing there. She's on the phone. She's she's frankly trying to figure out what's going on. And the other two people, like they won't even look at me, the other staff, and they're just, you know, typing away. And I go, you know what? The airline makes it really tough on y'all. You know, they screw up and customers have to come and look at you. And you're the ones you take the brunt of everybody's anger. At the end of the day, you're not out on the tarmac, right? You didn't you didn't deflate the tire. You didn't you know, that, that maintenance issue, right? That wasn't your fault. You didn't lose the luggage, but you guys have to sit here and go through this. And then they give you last minute alerts like, oh, by the way, tell those people their TV's messed up right before they board the plane so they can get mad at you, right? Like that's, and, and that was a little long, but that first section of 
the, how, how the airline's tough on you. And you guys take the brunt of everyone's anger. And it was funny, the three staff members, they all paused, like they all froze and they looked up at me and they got these great big smiles on their face. And they're like, you know, thank you, sir. One of them said, you know, thank you, sir. And said, you know what? Go ahead and take your seat on the plane. We'll come get you in a minute. And I'm like, all right, very good. Right. I built some good rapport. I got a that's right moment out of them. But now I'm sitting on the plane and I'm thinking, well, I'm also no longer in front of them. Right. Out of sight, out of mind. Are they just going to go, okay, now he's out of our hair. Just let him fly away and we'll never see him again, right? Sure. <laughs> but sure enough, right before the door closes, the same lady I spoke to comes running onto the, uh, on running onto the plane and she hands me a $100 voucher. And she looks at the other lady and she hands her a $100 voucher. And she's like, thank you very much, sir. And she turns around and she runs back off. And it's like, you know, that wouldn't have happened if I hadn't had the conversation with them. Sure. And and even in that moment, I wanted to talk to the lady that was sitting in the other seat. Go, hey, that's my hundred dollar voucher you got there, right? You didn't negotiate for that. I talked to them. You walked away, and you were gonna let it be, right? Give me my hundred dollars. But uh, yeah, I let it stand as it was. But you know, being able to look at them and look at this situation, and you know how hectic it is to fly in an airport. You know what those staff go through. Really, any customer service for that matter. People are hard on them, and if you can say everybody's hard on you. The last thing you need is a guy like me jumping down your throat. You can look at somebody and say that you're going to build rapport in the moment. You're going to build trust instantly without the conversation even having to go any further. That's great. That That's, that's fantastic. And uh, just the getting the reps, just tr- using this everywhere that you can. And look, you're not, uh, you're not going out there and, taking advantage of of people this this doesn't cost them anything in fact it could be argued that you made their day better by being empathetic and acknowledging them and they hooked you up so that's pretty cool <laughs> that's it yeah and then they hooked you up that's exactly that's a great way to look at it but yeah that's that's it man and it is the reps are tough and you know just go a little brain science right we already know that it takes about three weeks to build a new habit you know, 18 to 21 days, right? There's a lot of research out there that talks about that. But really when it comes down to building a new neural pathway in the brain, and we talk about this in our training, I don't want to bore you with it now, but you know, what it actually takes to build a new neural pathway that doesn't exist and, and have the, the myelin around that wraps around the neural pathway and makes that, that, that connection even stronger, takes about 64 repetitions. Somewhere between 64 and 67 reps is what it takes to, to plow that new neural pathway. And just like building a road, first time you dig that road out, it's going to be the toughest. But every time you put that plow back down there, it's going to get a little bit easier and a little bit easier. It's the same basic process for building a new neural pathway in the brain. It's about 64 reps. So if you're not consciously getting your 60-something reps in, you know, it's gonna—it's just going to be that much more difficult when you're in the Super Bowl, right? When it's game time and the pressure's on in that negotiation, you haven't gotten your 60 reps in, articulating that empathy becomes that much more difficult. Finding the words in the moment is that much harder. Yeah, I, I, I can uh, I can totally relate. Uh, I've spent a lot of the last six years traveling around places from Southeast Asia to Latin America and, and in Europe and, um, people want to take advantage of you. And, but it's a, it's a negotiation (laughs) 
I, if you're looking for the reps, man, go down to the market, go down and, and get with the people and, and start negotiating and going back and forth all of the time. Uh, and, and I wanted to ask for, for people who were looking just for little ways to start implementing these, these practices in their life. So when, when it does matter, uh, they can, they can perform. What would you say? Beca- because negotiation and haggling, are not the same thing, right? Uh, the book is called Never Split the Difference. So we're not talking about the, the little lady who's asking a hundred bot and you ask for 50 and then it's, oh, you got your little trinket in, in Thailand for 75 bot. Uh, that's not what you're going after here, but that mm-hmm. could be good practice. So what would you say to people who are just trying to use this everywhere in life? You know, Matt, that's a great point. And I'm really glad you brought that up. And I, and I hope offline I get to talk about your travels a little bit because I know you've been to some cool places. But sure. Yeah. Haggling and negotiation are very different. They're two different things. And, you know, negotiation is much more based on information gathering. You know, in a haggle, there's not much information to gather. But that doesn't mean that you can't use empathy. That doesn't mean that empathy and emotional intelligence don't still apply to haggling. And it's funny you bring up the international example. You know, I started to think about when I'm in these places, right? Right. They always want to take advantage of Americans, right? Especially and Americans stick out like a sore thumb, no matter where you're at, no matter what color you are, which is what cracks me up. It doesn't matter. You're white, black. You could be an Asian American. You, when, you, when you step outside of the U.S., you stand out as an American in other countries. It's funny. We stick out like a sore thumb and the internationals can sniff us out. But, you know, I, I start to think, like, what's what's something they say about us behind closed doors? Right. When they're drinking at the bar, how do they describe the Americans that come to town? They probably describe them as idiots. <laughs> and I, you stupid Americans. Right. These arrogant mother effers. Right. That are coming in. Right. They, they think that they're going to come down to my market. Right. Come to my table. and They're going to think they're going to they're going to negotiate my socks off. Over this thing, right? These stupid Americans, right? That's that's probably what they say. Right? Sure. You could imagine them saying that in their own language. Sure. And so, even in a haggle situation, you know, everybody speaks a little bit of English, right? So even if you can say, "Oh, I'm I'm just a stupid American," right? I'm a stupid American. Even with someone that doesn't speak that much English, they probably know what that means. <laughs> and at the very least, you're gonna you're gonna get probably get a laugh out of them. I, I haven't gotten a single person. Not to laugh at me once when I'm just going, I'm just a stupid American, right? I'm looking for directions, right? I'm just a stupid guy. I'm just trying to get a drink here, you know, whatever it is. And, and get a laugh out of them. And it's also like, you know what? Hey, this isn't the average American jerk that comes over here and think they own this place, even though they're, they're 30,000 miles from their home country. And you know what? It's not such a bad guy, just a normal human being. I, you know, I'll give him a couple dollars off just because, you know, he's not your average American jerk. So, yeah, even that's a great that's a great example. But even those moments. Right. Can you build the empathy and just like, oh, I, you know, I could tell you work really hard on these trinkets. Right. Is it somebody that's got a shop where they got handcrafted materials there? Right. And you can look at them and go, you know what? I bet your parents passed this skill down to you. You know, it's interesting. I met a guy in Jamaica recently uh, and, uh, you know, I was out there for I, I got married and, you know, from a girl I met at Bryant, as a matter of fact. Excellent. And um uh, you know, I met a guy that had this wood carving shop and it was just something that was passed down from his dad, you know, and he took up the reins. Right. My dad was a was a carver and he gave me the skill. I used to work the resorts, but now I do this. And, 
you know, being able to talk to him about that and, and it resonate, you know, just have a, have that conversation, right? He's going to give me a break on anything I want to buy. So yeah, even, even though negotiation and haggling are very different, doesn't mean you can't apply empathy and emotional intelligence in both places. No, that's, that's really cool. And just practicing, practicing kindness. So the little lady in Thailand isn't your, isn't <laughs> your enemy here. And you're not trying to bully her into something. Like I saw you had a uh, article on your LinkedIn that you had written about when it's just a, a, a bloodbath negotiation, when someone's just trying to bully you, that's, that's a really difficult situation. And that's not a fun one to be in for, for anybody. So I'm, mm -hmm, I'm glad mm -hmm. that you, I, I'm glad that you bring that up. And, um, yeah, that's, that's really cool. And I, I wanted to kind of shift a little bit away from, okay, here are some things that you can do on the street. But mm -hmm. then when it's time, when you really need something, and again, you can put in reps for this is to write down, uh, your goal, what you want, your summary, uh, all, all the information that you know, uh, in the book you talk about, all right, what's the bottom line? And you even talked, uh, even talked about, uh, doing something called a label and, and, uh, I think it was a accusation audit where mm -hmm. you write down what they might say and then label it. Uh, and, and so you're mapping out what a negotiation might look like. And you could do this before you go to, the airline counter and try to get your upgrade to business class, right? Uh, I think those <laughs> yeah. days, I don't think that works at all anymore, but you know, whatever it is, if you're calling just to yeah, renegotiate your, um, your, your cable bill, you can, you can write out and, and plan out and, uh, and, and map these things. So could you walk people through that? What they can, they, they can learn and, and, uh, yeah, pull from this interview. Yeah, sure, sure. So what Matt's referring to in the book is, um, you know, our prep sheet. We refer to offhand as our prep sheet. And so coming up with your summary and your accusations audit and defining your goal and, uh, you know, writing out some labels and things. And it's it's something that's designed for you to be able to do in anywhere from 10 minutes to a half an hour. It depends on how efficient you are. Right. And And so something you can do in a real, real short period of time that really prepares you to communicate. As opposed to, you know, we go into negotiations and we have all this data that we've gathered. We've, we've got all these justifications that we've put together and we want to get to the table and we want to explain ourselves. We want to lay out the data. And that's actually that's not a great way to start building rapport with somebody. You know, somebody doesn't come to the table to get beat to death with your with with, with your logic. Right. That's not why they're there. And so. Right. And starting with an accusations audit, like you said, that's all part of the, the prep sheet. And so you lay these things out. We have several clients that have miniaturized prep sheets that apply to specific negotiations. They're in on a regular basis and they'll keep them in their inside jacket pocket or their purse. But you put it together quickly. And, and so the goal, that's simple. Right. What's what's your main goal? What's what's your result that you'd like to get? But understanding going in that you can improve your position. Right. Don't get so focused on your goal that you miss opportunities to accept something better. So you define that goal, but it's a loose definition, right? You don't want to, you don't want to get tunnel vision and miss opportunities. Your accusations audit is really centered around uh, eliminating the negatives. And so what are the negative things that the other side is harboring that we can see that we can knock out up front? And, you know, a great example is, especially if you're in a type of business where 
you're dealing with um, relationship management, right? Or you're an account manager and, and you're dealing with the same type of customers on a regular basis, chances are they may have felt slighted in some point in the, in the relationship. Maybe because you were late on a delivery or you said something wrong or you embarrassed them in a conference call. It could be any number of things, but chances are in your gut, you got to feel for what that might be. If you can start your next interaction by going, I know you're still upset because this delivery was late and you missed this deadline and or, you know, whatever the case is, if you can if you can eliminate that negative when you start the conversation, you take it out. You take it out of the environment altogether. You know, essentially, you you take away their permission later on to dig their heels in and go, I'm not going to agree to that because those fools five years ago were late on that delivery. And there's no way that I'm going to give them any leeway on this. You know, that emotional moment that takes place when you're not at the table goes away. It doesn't actually happen. If anything, it turns into, you know what, when we spoke today and they laid out that they knew that that delivery messed us up. You know, clearly these guys are understanding some of the things that they did wrong and we can work with them on that. Right. It, it changes the emotional moment. So the accusations law is designed to, to attack the negative. Labels, you mentioned before, uh, there's statements, as it were, that start with it seems like, it sounds like, or it looks like. And you mentioned earlier about you know having somebody upset with you and coming at you and being very assertive. It's amazing how you can change the interaction by saying, it seems like I really upset you. And what that can do in the moment. And, you know, we got, I could give you examples all day where we've used this, but essentially when people are going to go, you know what? No, I, I actually, uh, I didn't realize I was so upset. I didn't realize I was coming off as being so upset. Some people are abrasive. They don't realize how abrasive they are. Or if they are and go, yeah, you know what? I'm upset with you and here's why. And now they're giving you information that you're going to use to get a that's right from them later on anyway. Right. So either way, you've improved your position. So it seems like it sounds like it looks like or some people like to say it feels like you know, it feels like we're really not on the same page. It seems like you're hesitant to agree to this for a specific reason. You know, things like that. And you and you can prep yourself. Right. Hesitation is something everybody sees in business. You can put it seems like you're hesitant on your list and have it ready to go in every conversation. So, you know, and those are those are three big ones, right? Your goal, your accusations, audit, your labels. Those are three big pieces of of our, our prep method and how we how we kick off negotiations. No, that, that's really cool. And uh, while you were talking, I couldn't help but think uh, an accusations audit might be real beneficial to people in relationships. So when you're, <laughs> when you're negotiating with your sweetheart and, yeah. uh, you know that there are things that he or she are upset about and you, you know, there, you might be accused of some things. You might as well just own it up front. And like you <laughs> used in your example, all right, that five years ago, you, yeah. you own that because that's something that's going to come up. So you don't want them to drop that hammer on you later. So you might as well just be up front, either apologize or let it be out there in the open because it's much better if you bring it up than, than she brings it up. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? So do you, do you find a lot of crossover there? 
You know, yes, there is. There is. And I'm, 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 again, I'm so glad you brought that up. When That's one of the places we talk about with our clients, like low stakes practice. If you got a spouse or a girlfriend, right, that's that's a great place to practice this stuff. Or even with your kids, we got a, a good buddy and, and, a, and a client of ours, good friend and a client that likes to say that he's taken 15 minutes off of bedtime with his two little boys by using some good labels with them. You know, using some wow. good labels and some good calibrated questions. And and it's, uh, you know, again, going even going back to the accusations are, I mean, that is that is a key tool, you know, especially if you're a guy. Right. And you, you know, you've upset your your lady. If you're a guy, you've upset a lady at some point in your life <laughs> and you probably know why you did it. Sure. <laughs> right? You know damn well why you did it. <laughs> <laughs> you know damn well why you did it. Exactly. But it's good. It's a good way to look at it, like owning it. You know, it's 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 an interesting way to look at that. But owning it and then articulating it, being able to say it and own, owning it because you were able to say it. And then what that does, right, the emotional moment, right, going back to this applying emotional intelligence and, and empathy and those things. And, you know, yeah, she's going to say, you know, well, you are stupid. Right. But then she's going to actually let it go. Right. Instead of instead of her beating it with beating you over the head with it every other week. You know, you've owned it, right? It's not it's not such a big deal anymore. She doesn't have to explain to you why it was wrong. Now that that's really cool. And I, I wanted to bring up, I have this in my notes uh from from the book, The Black Swan Rule. Don't treat people how you'd like to be treated, treat them how they need to be treated. So if you're in a relationship, well then there you go. You're not playing any Jedi mind tricks here with your with your honey, right? Yeah. You are you are actually treating them how they need to be treated and you're using these the all, all these tools uh to to get somewhere in life and and not just to not just to take advantage and and get what you want. That's that's not the point here. So this is this is really interesting stuff. Yeah, yeah, that's it. And you make it a good point. I'm glad you put the emphasis on need when you said it, because that's exactly not how you want them or how you wish they were like, oh, I wish she wasn't so stubborn or I wish she would let this go. It's like, no, no, no. This is what they need right now, how they need to be treated and what fits. And sometimes it's hard to say the words. You know, that's another thing, like even in business, you know, not, you know, you, you know of course, in personal relationships, it's hard to say the words, but it is in business as well. Being able to admit like this screwed you up, this set you off track, this got in the way, and we were probably the cause of that, right? It's it's hard to say those things, but when you can, you know, it 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 opens up doors in the interaction, right? It takes you to a dimension of the communication that you might not have thought was possible. You know, now they're t- saying things to you and ad- admitting things to you that normally they might play very close to the vest. Sure. Sure. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Um, so Brandon, before we wrap up, I wanted to just, uh, maybe if you could help people walk through something that they can negotiate in their life today, whether it's their utility bill, whether it's, um, you know, their, their mortgage. Uh, I think your dad made a really nice Point, uh, really nice point. If I'm remembering correctly, he bought that red Forerunner. Was that uh, I read? A, yeah, uh, yeah. He, and uh, he talks about how he look. He walked in there and he got what he wanted, and it was a real sweet deal. And he loves driving that truck because of it. <laughs> uh, yeah, maybe maybe that might be a good place to kind of leave people so that they can see that that there is actionable stuff that they can pull and. Uh, 
and really get things out of these these tactics. And uh, of course, I, I highly suggest checking out the book. Yeah, sure. That's not a great place to start. And he does love that forerunner. He's still got that thing, you know, the the salsa red pearl color that he loves. He likes to joke about it when we're training. He's like, man, when you hear the name of that color, just makes you want to smoke a cigarette after, right? Like <laughs> salsa red pearl. You got to smoke a cigarette after that. So he loves that thing. He still got it. Uh, that's a great story. And, you know, I got I got a similar story of my own, uh, you know, uh, a couple years. I guess it was about a, a year or so after the book came out, uh, you know, buying my own car and, and uh, you know, using the how am I supposed to do that? Right. Same basic techniques he was he was using. Right. You guys are so generous. I can't believe you spent so much time working with me, which is the empathy. Right. That's the the empathy, emotional intelligence side of it is you know, them being very generous with their time and and them being willing to put up with your nonsense as a car buyer. And, you know, I can't believe you've even been kind enough to drop the price at all. Right. Those those are the empathy statements. And then being able to follow that with, you know, how am I supposed to pay? How am I supposed to do that? And if you've read the book and you've used how am I supposed to do that, you may have found yourself getting an answer that you didn't expect. You know, I know there's, there's a lot of people that we work with on our, especially our one day seminars are like, yeah, I used it and I didn't get what I was looking for. Well, first part is what was your empathy statement, right? And in, in the, in the great example with the, with the car buy, it was, you guys are generous, right? I can't believe you, you've, you stuck your necks out for me. That was the empathy piece that came before you dropped the, how am I supposed to do that hammer? And then another thing that's not in the book, but you, people should know, sometimes you got to hit that first step more than once. You know, we got, sometimes we forget, we may be talking to someone that's not listening. You know, maybe their ears are closed, right? And they're not hearing. And so the reason it didn't take the effect that it had is because they didn't actually hear it. Like it didn't resonate. They were too caught up in their own mindset. So being able to deliver it again, like, you know, I'm I'm so sorry. How am I supposed to do that? Being able to say it a second time, only a few seconds later, and then do it in that calm, you know, downward inflecting, being able to control your emotions instead of like, you idiot, didn't you hear me? Right. Being able to stay calm and say, I, you know, I'm sorry. How am I supposed to pay that? You know, being able to hit it again. And so in my example, that's what I had to do. I, and, and it was kind of funny because the guy selling me the car, we had mutual friends. It came up during the course of the test drive and we worked security back when we were younger at clubs in D.C. And so we're talking about financing and I say, you know, hey, man, I really appreciate everything you've done for me. You know, you're very generous with your time. How am I supposed to pay that? He literally says to me, all you got to do is go back working club security in D.C., right? I mean, you know, you guys get paid cash. You make, you know, $150, $200 a night. You know, you're you're at the club, you know, a couple of times a month and you got that paid off already. Right. And I'm like, ah, in that moment, I'm like choked up because I'm like, you weren't supposed to give me an answer to how am I supposed to pay that? Right. Like, what do I do now? <laughs> right. And they, I'm feeling the air leave the room. And, you know, I thought to myself, right, I got to stay in control here and I got to hit him with it again. You know, I got to be able to say it one more time. I said, you know, I'm sorry. It's, you know, I, I appreciate you trying to think things up for me. Right. Now that's trying to help me solve this problem. How am I supposed to do that? And he kind of looked at me and he looked at the ground and he goes, give me one second. And he went in his manager's office and he came back out with a lower price. Right. So we wow. just 
we kind of did the song and dance there a little bit until I got down to the, the monthly price I was looking for. But, you know, I definitely was in that moment when he said, well, here's the answer. This is how you pay for it. And it was <gasps> right. I'm short of breath. But you got to remember staying calm in that moment and then being able to to reiterate exactly what you just did in that late night FM DJ voice. So that's a great I think it's a good tip. You know, it's one of those things that's not in the book, because if you've used how am I supposed to do that? Chances are you've had one moment you weren't expecting. <laughs> sure. Sure. No, that's that. That's awesome. Well, uh, Brandon, this is this has been a pleasure. Uh, this is a ton of actionable stuff again. Uh, Never Split the Difference is a great book. Uh, can you tell everybody a little bit more about what you do with the Black Swan Group uh, while we wrap up and uh, let people know also where they can reach out to you if they want to uh, get in touch? Yeah, sure, sure. No problem. So again, I'm I'm, uh, I'm uh, operations director and director of training and, and do a lot of coordination on that level, a lot of coaching, um, and, and I'm, I'm pretty much part of every training that we do. If I'm not instructing, I probably written uh written the instruction and so i love this stuff i love talking about it great place to reach us of course is our website which is www.blackswan with one n ltd like limited.com so blackswanltd.com and also if you want to sign up we have a we have a blog that comes out every tuesday and it usually gets dropped in your in your inbox your email inbox at about 9 a.m your local time doesn't matter where you are uh, and you can text FBI Empathy. So that's all capital letters, all one word, FBI Empathy, two 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 eight two eight. So it's FBI Empathy, all caps, one word. Text it to two two eight two eight. You'll be prompted on a text message to sign up for our, our free blog that comes out every Tuesday. And if you're if you're cruising around on the website, of course, there's a way to sign up for the blog there. And any new announcements that we come out with, they they always hit the blog first. You know, if we're doing a training or we have a new session available or uh, some new virtual materials, they all they all come out on the blog first, even sooner than they hit the website. Brandon, well, look, I appreciate it. I got school today. I'm sure everybody else did. So, uh, yeah, thank you very much. Matt, this was a great time. I know we babbled for a while. I apologize, but it was, it was fun, man. I enjoyed it. <laughs> Absolutely. It's Matt coming to you with a little update back here from Austin, Texas. I just got back from Southeast Asia. Amazing trip out to Bali and Thailand where we ran our yoga and mindfulness retreat. And it was an absolute blast trying to get new dates up there on the website for, shh, don't tell anybody, Black Friday is coming for under 30 experiences. So look out for that. Other than that, we, of course, have our April Costa Rica uh, yoga and mindfulness trip. Really excited about that to get to know people on the ground. And I want to get to know you. So the best way that I know how is actually through Instagram message. I've been engaging with uh, listeners, with under 30 experiences, travelers, just with all sorts of people who have heard me speak uh, over the last year at different conferences and events. So hit me up at Matt Wilson TV, Matt Wilson TV, all one word on Instagram. I get back to every message. I want to hear from you. I want to know what you think of the show. I want to help you in any way that I can. I want to build relationships with you all because you are what keeps me going 
trying to continually support this community that we've built, bringing you expert advice from people who are in the trenches, building business, businesses at the top of their game, traveling the world, keeping on the cutting edge of their health and fitness, uh, all the things that we talk about here on the Live Denver podcast. So I'd love to hear from you, Matt Wilson TV on Instagram. Also, I'm trying to get out and speak more, get in front of people, especially when I'm in the United States, but I'll speak pretty much anywhere in the world, uh, paid or unpaid in some situations. I was fortunate enough to go out to Hawaii and talk about millennials and travel this year uh, in Spain to talk about building community around a multi-million dollar business. I just spoke in front of almost a thousand college students at the Collegiate Entrepreneurs Organization in Kansas City. Yes, I will go near and far and uh, also got to speak out there in front of an elite group of entrepreneurs in Bali. So let me know if you are interested in interacting further with me at Matt Wilson TV on Instagram. Would love to hear from you. And one more thing, if this show has helped you in any way, shape, or form, I would be incredibly grateful if you could leave a review because that helps spread the good word. Throw up a five-star review. I appreciate it. Hit me up on Instagram and maybe I'll send you a little gift. Thank you guys. You rock.